Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Hey everyone, welcome to the third season of Education Suspended. It feels really, really good to say that. I did debate on creating some form of song to show you how excited I was, but I decided no one wanted to hear me sing. So you're welcome. Um, I know that at the end of season two, we talked about some exciting news that we have. So I definitely want to start today by talking about that. So we have been able to create an internship program with Puget Sound Skill Center in Washington. And this school is amazing. This whole school serves high school juniors and seniors and provides specialized career support. I think they have about 16 specific programs that gives students high school and college credit through hands-on experience and like true work environment jobs. It's really, really cool. And so we're super excited that Gina Hansen, who is one of the teachers there, is taking a risk and joining the education suspended team by helping us provide this internship. And she believes in the work that we do and everything that we're talking about. So thank you, Gina. And we have our first intern and he's awesome. His name is Wyatt. I'm pretty sure he's a wizard because the stuff he can do tech-wise is phenomenal. I think he just smiles and nods at me and thinks I'm a putz because I don't know how to do anything on the dang computer. But we're super grateful to have Wyatt on our team. And we're super excited that this internship has started and has taken off. All right, let's begin season three. So for our first episode of season three, we sit down with Justin Toomer, who's a senior consultant with Education Elements. I really enjoy the story that Justin shares, in particular, how he draws off his experience as an educator and uses that to continue to push education forward and focus on what's the difference between understanding helping kids make progress versus just aiming for an a specific end result. And if we're able to focus on students from an individual perspective, we're able to understand that progress can change and we have flexibility when we think about it in that perspective. He also talks about how the better the school experiences for our students, the more likely they are to come back into the field and want to do this. We lose opportunities to reach so many amazing educators because their experience is just not the best in education. He also talks a lot about data, which I was really grateful for because I have a love-hate relationship with data, but just reminds us all that let's just make sure that the data that we're using is not telling the story that's already been written. Let's use data in a way that's creative and gives these students opportunities. So it's just a really good interview. It's a great way to kick off season three. So everybody sit back and enjoy Education Suspended with Justin Toomer. How are we doing? Good. Good. How are you? I am doing so great. So excited to connect with you all. I know, oh, yeah. Justin, I can't believe it's taken this long for this to finally happen. I'm so sorry. Oh, please, we are not starting with any apologies. <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. I, I, I'm, I've just been a fan. It's been great to, to listen. Um, I haven't got a chance to, to catch up on the episode you guys dropped the other day. Uh, and so just um, loving what you all are doing, excited uh, to be a part of it. Hope you all are just experiencing good growth and having a fun time doing this. We are. I also wanted to start and, and give a shout out to Eli at Berkeley Supply. I feel like this is this is how our worlds collided. Who knew that spending a majority of my paycheck at my favorite men's boutique in Denver, Colorado would lead to our interconnections. Yep. Look, we're both representing today. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Yes, yes. I have been shopping there forever. 
And when education suspended started, I was talking with Eli, who's the owner. And he's like, dude, you got to meet my friend, Justin. <laughs> and so here we are three years later. I love it. No, this is perfect. This is perfect. I'm always trying to find ways to have fun ways to talk about education and, and, and you're creating a platform for us. This is great. Well, let's hop in. We start all of our, our episodes the same. We're going to have you introduce yourself to our listeners, talk about what you do, how you got there, and then our favorite part, your educational journey and connection has to what you do now. So it's all yours. Hey, everyone. I'm Justin Toomer. I am a senior consultant at Education Elements. It is a national public school K-12 consultancy. Uh, I have the privilege of working with school districts literally from a range uh, of Alaska and Hawaii all the way to upstate New York. Our, our company mission and tagline is that schools grow and people grow. And, and that's really informed a shift in my work as someone who's been a teacher and a school leader uh, here in Denver, Colorado, uh, to move towards working with school leaders and district leaders around the country. Uh, we've really tried to focus on helping those who help our students, uh, knowing that, that that's a population that's often highly criticized, but under-supported. I am a, a lifelong educator is what I like to tell folks because for me, though I'm not in the classroom right now, I consider every place that I go to be my classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that just comes from my love for, uh, for the work that I, I did as a teacher and as a school leader. Um, I'm a first generation college graduate. And so I've got a chance to, you know, really see firsthand and really feel the effects of an equitable education, but also just the, the a quality experience as someone who went from a public school experience in Kansas City, Missouri, um, all the way to a independent school experience at a boarding school in Massachusetts, I literally lived at my high school uh, and then stayed in that region for college. I've had a ton of different ups and downs, um, all with all in the in the goal of just pursuing an equitable education. And so that's really what informed my experience where the second I graduated and got my diploma, the next day I was on a plane here to Denver, Colorado uh, to begin my career as a fifth grade teacher. And, and I haven't stopped ever since. And so now adults are my, are my students and, and I get a chance to uh, build classrooms all over the country. And it is definitely uh, something that I, I take seriously. Uh, and I feel like it's a privilege uh, as I feel like I'm learning just as much as I'm teaching nowadays. You know, I love the tagline you said, right? Uh, schools grow when people grow. And so one thing that's really stood out about your work, um, which does span so many different components of education, right? You're a consultant now, but teacher to, to dean of students, which I want to jump into because the world of being a dean is so intriguing. But you have this theme about you and the work that you do that it is about growth. What elements of growth are you speaking about when you're talking about that as of a student? Well, first, it's really around the possibilities. Uh, I actually try to challenge my peers in education to take a step back and really question the purpose. What is the purpose of a good education? Uh, and I feel like nowadays, um, I, don't, I don't mind that we talk a lot more about student growth and student achievement. Uh, but when I'm thinking of growth, I'm actually talking about giving someone the opportunity to maximize their potential. And, and that to me is what I believe a quality academic experience is about. And that's when I talk about my journey, that was something that I got a chance to experience firsthand, where I went from having a, you know, kind of a low ceiling based upon what my environment was and what I thought I could do or could be, compared to as I consistently got supported and pushed 
from adults and people in my life who cared about me um, at different points in my career, whether it was through being recognized as gifted and talented. And literally when I was 12 years old, my grandfather signed me up for the SATs. I did not know what it was that he had me taking. And, and so I'm 12 years old and I'm taking this test and everybody around me is a lot older and I don't know what I'm doing there, but I, I, I knew that I'd been practicing. And so I took the test, I scored a 1400, by the way, this is still on the 1600 scale. And, and then the world opened up for me where all of a sudden I got access to these programs. My schools just started to give me awards and my class, my teachers started to treat me differently. And, and then I began to, to kind of walk into that, into that persona that was starting to kind of unfold right there in front of me. And so when I talk about growth, I'm really talking about potential. Those were things that I had no idea were in front of me and were, were opportunities. And I, and I can only think about the number of peers that I had that I feel like were even more talented than I, who, who just didn't have those opportunities, who didn't have that person in their life to put them in those random, uh, you know, uh, those random spaces to kind of show they show what they know, show what they can do. And when I think about what a quality education is, when I think about what student growth really looks like, it's that opportunity for a young person to surprise themselves, to surprise, you know, their community, to, to open the minds of what the adults even think is possible through their actions. And so for me, growth is really not just around percentage point measures over time. And, and, it, and it truly is around, you know, a deeper understanding as to what's possible for that individual and, what's po- and what a, a quality school experience can kind of open up for you as well. Justin, I, I want to know how that feels for teachers as well. I, I love the idea of the open up the possibilities for students. When teachers start to see those possibilities, how do they change? That is the profession. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of our profession nowadays is really around preparing our students for assessments and around be, uh, managing their behavior in our pursuit of preparing them for those assessments. But when I find educators light up, whether it's, again, in my experience as a student, in my experience as a teacher, or as someone who gets to coach and work with teachers around the country right now, they want to do this job. They want to help young people feel successful. They do want to have them open up their possibilities uh, for what they can achieve. However, immediately, you know, their curriculum map or their lessons that they feel like they have to teach um, are the things that start to get into the way. And so what I've really started to really push people to do is to, is to get deep and to have a little bit of, of fun with, with your work and with your lesson planning, knowing that that is ultimately the, the last expression that you have before you are in the classroom with your students. How can that actually start to become an opportunity for you not to see how you're going to get X, Y, or Z done, but where might you open up the door for X, Y, or Z to occur? It takes a little bit of time for teachers to, to really want to get into that space because it does involve more time on the front end and it, and it involves you really going back into your planning in a more intensive way. But if you're not looking at your plans as an opportunity for opening doors with your students as opposed to covering content, you, your, your plans have to be where you are uncovering content for, for students. And so that can be a really unique experience teacher to teacher. But when I'm speaking universally kind of about this, this role, that is where I push people to really dive in because that's where I see them light up and I see all the experience and expertise that they have. That's where I see it best expressed. Well, I like that. And it connects some dots for me in, into your work. You're a really good writer. and You have a couple of blogs that you've written that really stood out to me. And so when I hear you talk about growth, this, yeah. this understanding that it's 
that it's not just student growth, but in so many ways we, and this is just me speaking, and I don't know if this is how you feel, but we have undermined the need to help our professionals, the educators continue their growth. And you talked about this unfortunate predicament that so many educators are in a position that they're just, the curriculum is teaching to the test. You're kind of switching the script and saying, no, how do we also continue the growth of the educators? Yes. We have to be honest. Teaching is a, it's not as cool as a field as it could be. It isn't. And there's incredibly cool. And when I say cool, I mean, interesting, unique, driven, passionate people um, in this field. And they're not allowed to be as cool as they are. They're not like, I call this the, the, the Miss Frizzle problem. Uh, it, yes. it's, it's, <laughs> okay, good. Okay. I, I'm, I'm glad that, that we all are kindred spirits in terms of understanding how important the magic school bus I is. I just started letting my three-year-old daughter watch that show. <laughs> so. and, and see, we have to start letting teachers watch the show again. Yes. I, I believe that that kind of archetype of an educator inspired a lot of us uh, at the very least to just see that our classroom, the content that we engage with uh, could be, uh, there's, there's so much more to it. Uh, so it wasn't always about what the teacher did, but it was about just what you were learning. There was so much deeper than, uh, than what might've been in, in your textbooks um, or on the worksheets that you were, were filling out. And so when I think about what the adults need is, is, is I truly believe that we need to be able to be creative in this field. This is a, create, a highly creative field of engaging with human beings and then pushing and motivating them and finding the right buttons to press that, that, that energize one person that you know for someone else, it might be totally what demotivates them. Until we embrace the creative aspects of our work, it's going to continue to feel more rote and robotic, uh, which unfortunately is not a match of the people that are in our field. If we want to have these like chat GPT things and all these other kind of AI programs, we want to have them teach, that's a different conversation. But in terms of the human beings that are in our classrooms, right now, uh, it, they really need space and time to create the kind of, of learning environments and learning opportunities that, that are inspiring to them. How often are our teachers teaching things that they're not interested in themselves? And until we really spend time giving them the opportunity to really own their content a little bit more, to give our, our newer teachers, while they may not know what the current content is in the curriculum, they have things that they came in that inspired them to get in front of young people. There is a, a balance of allowing people to, to do what you know gets them out of bed every morning while also making sure we're getting results. And I do think that when classrooms feel more like human spaces, when, when, when it feels like people are in a corner here getting their needs met, when people are, are with their peers or with the teacher here getting their needs met, that learning environment feels a lot more productive than, than everyone doing the same thing at the same time when we know that as adults, that doesn't work for us at all. Okay, so here's the irony. In October of 2019, you wrote this really good article about retaining teachers and how so many people were doing it wrong. And at that time when you wrote it, that was pre-COVID. It was not even half as bad as it was now. What carries through for you about the need to retain educators? What needs to shift? We're letting great talent walk right past us every day. And so what I mean by that is the reason why that first caught my eye in, in 2019 was because I was no longer a teacher. I was someone who, as I already shared my story at the beginning of, of, of our time together, I know how important uh, education is. Like That's one of the few reasons why I stay in this field, because it works. There's plenty of other great ways that 
I could be spending my time and energy, but I believe that this works when, when, when people from, especially from the communities that I come from, when we have a chance, people make the most of that chance. And I believe that we're not giving enough people that chance. And so I started there because I had this goal and then somehow I end up no longer in the classroom or in a school, like what happened? And so I started to break down that process for whether it was <clears throat> for someone who, who, like me, who wanted to serve certain populations, the type of preparation and support I had was completely different in working in a public school environment than it was working in an independent school environment. The way that I was trained and spoke to, to think about what my students were capable of in my independent school environment compared to my public school, it was, it was embarrassing. It was, it was unfortunate. In one world, my students were future leaders um, and they were people that were, you know, their, their minds, their love for learning was my job was to cultivate it. In another realm, if I didn't have a lesson plan that had 10 different short activities, you know, my students would take over my classroom. So I started to see that, that the way we talked about what education was about has shifted in my experience, depending on the, the population I was serving. And many of the new educators that I have come up, that I've interviewed or that I have come to engage with, many of them get into the field to serve the exact populations that we're telling them they need to control, that we're telling them they need to manage, as opposed to inspire and open their doors and to connect with and to learn from. So I started to see in myself in my own experience and the experience of educators around me, my peers, that the attrition was not because the job was too hard. It was not because our test scores weren't good or we didn't believe that our students should be taking tests. It was that at the end of the day, when I looked at myself in the mirror, I couldn't believe that I was, as a dean of students, to get back to that piece, that I was suspending kids myself, that I was suspending Black males as a Black male. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and continue that. And so as we start to think about the challenge of our field and as we try to recruit, retain, and, and, and grow educators right now, we have to start to realize that the talent is in front of us. And I mean, it's in our classrooms. If students do not like school, why would they come back to, this, to that building to serve in any kind of positive way? If their goal is to get away from you, to get away from this building, to get away from this oppressive experience, they're not going to see it as a problem to solve. They're going to see it as an unfixable problem that, that they don't want to be sucked back into the gravitational pull of those challenges. My first story, right, as someone who was a school leader who looked around as a building full of adults who had a good school experience, well, we're having challenges with students who are struggling in school. I would often ask my teachers, how many Fs have you ever gotten, right, in your life? And single digits. People could take could tell you the one time they got an F. And then we have students who experience that every day. I just started to notice that the field and what we're asked to, to do, the work, the conversation, the national conversation around the work has shifted so much towards some of the problems and deficits that even the people who come in to, to work on those, they're, they're unable to really uh, to kind of stick through in the long term because you're only solving problems, right? You're, you're, you're never actually building anything up. You're never working from assets. When we know when you get into a room full of young people, all you see are potential and, and areas you know, of strength. And, and, and some of the great things that they bring just naturally and innately. And so really the first thing we have to do is look at our school experience. The better the school experience, the more people you have who enjoyed school. And statistically, that's, that's looking like that's who our teacher force is right now. So that's one way in the long term we can start to, to change that. Short term, there are people that look like me, 
young black men who want to be a part of, of changing our communities for the better, but there are different, different barriers hindering us from getting into uh, these spaces. I call this the, the golden ticket paradox. I was someone who was gifted and talented, was that, that, was, that skill was recognized within me. I was, I was identified that way and therefore given access to other, other types of classrooms and schools. And therefore, because of all these unique experiences, right, going to a boarding school, leaving my home, going to an Ivy League school as well, having to do all of that, I then can become a teacher, right? I had to do all that to become a fifth grade teacher. And my peers around me, they're like, oh, no, I just went to, you know, I went to the local state college. They didn't have to break barriers or become like the Harry Potter in their family in order to contribute back to their community. And so there's a lot of folks who have assets to bring to the communities that we want to serve, that we're struggling to serve the most, and yet we are preventing them from doing so. So I just think that at the end of the day, the talent is actually right here. It's in front of us. People want to be a part of it. The one beautiful thing that I love about education is that we all have had, we all have had some experience with it. Until we start to open up our understanding as to what a great educator can be, uh, we're going to continue to have this challenge around recruit, recruitment and then definitely around retention uh, because the field is, is, is just not necessarily what it is or why we got into it. You know, Jessica, I connected that retention part right away to what we started talking about at the beginning. Right. If teachers are viewed as creative givers and students are viewed as creative as well with all that potential, all that talent. That to me is magical in retaining teachers. Who wouldn't want to do a job like that? I saw it many times just in, in what I was able to read about a, you're being a very relationship-driven person. And, and also what, another thing that, that I think is part of that relationships were celebrations and rituals and other things that are important for teachers for, for this to be maybe one of the greatest jobs in the world. Yes. One of my favorite wins of, of the 2020 school year, the pandemic school year, was a, a, a school, a high school that I was supporting in Oakland. And, you know, we went through the, the virtual school experience and the transition. And, you know, and I was coaching their school leaders and we were doing virtual trainings with their teachers. And I was observing their virtual classrooms and people were working hard. You know, I don't like to take everybody back to that time too often, but as we all know, no matter how hard we were working, uh, just morale was low. And so one thing that we, that we thought would be great when I was working with the school leadership team there was, what if we hung a banner? Like, why, why wasn't this a banner year? What, like, why didn't we win the school year this year? We had all these challenges thrown at us. And however we did it, by hook or by crook, every student got information that they needed. You know, students matriculated through to the next year. Students graduated. And we were able to have a quality school year despite all the challenges. After we asked them that question, they're like, hey, you know, why wasn't this a banner year? People started to realize like this, this was, this is one of the, the hardest years that I've ever had. And I feel successful or, or, or I've experienced some of the most growth I've ever experienced as an educator in this year. And so they actually had a banner hanging ceremony. They did it in like a socially distanced way. They actually had everyone come together. They hung a banner and they actually celebrated their school year. And I bring that story up because it's important for us to, to realize, you know, that, that we are winning. I like to ask, you know, school leaders and teachers all the time, like, what is a win to you? We are doing great things. And it doesn't just have to be, you know, when that last bell rings in May or in June. When I think about celebrating, I think about, yes, there's definitely ways to celebrate successful teacher actions or things that are going well in the classroom. But I'm also talking about recognizing 
at the end of the year, when you are able to, you know, successfully handle business in the way that teachers do around the country, like that is a win and it's worth recognizing. We as educators are so conditioned to, to look at who, who struggled, who didn't make it, who did we, who weren't we able to reach, who didn't have such a great year. But at the end of the day, we have to start to recognize that building relationships with people is not easy. Connecting to people in, 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 in less than a year's time and motivating them to, to push past their goals is not something that is typically done in any other, you know, any other realm of work or any other aspect of our society in such a quick and effective fashion that educators do it. And if we don't start to, to, to lionize and, and, and celebrate that aspect of our work, then as you're getting at, Steve, one, some of our greatest educators and some of our most creative educators won't necessarily feel they won't feel the success that they're that they're getting. But two, we can use that to really start to change the narrative around, again, what a quality school experience is. As we all start to realize that we can hang a banner more years than not. A lot of us are having winning years that, that need to be celebrated and recognized. We're also conditioned, which connects here, we're also conditioned to function pretty much in silos and departments and focus on what you do. And I think what I hear you saying about by having a banner year, by hanging your banners, you are also creating that sense of community. You're, you're, you're having everyone take a step back and saying, hey, where do I fit in this larger ecosystem around me? What's my role and how am I supporting everyone that I work with? And so that's also standing out for me, which I think is why that's got to be really beneficial to create that sense of culture and that sense of belonging for the adults. We talk about it all the time for kids, all the time for kids. The teachers also need that, that reciprocal sense of belonging, that reciprocal relationship is just as important for the adults. And, and I actually break that down when I try to coach people around that, because it's, it's fun for me to talk about it. Everything that, I, that I'm sharing here, I do my best to create concrete frameworks around so people can actually implement it. And so this is a, a certain example where I actually break this down into four different elements. So that way people can identify where are we strong, where do we need to spend more of our time, and then we can triangulate actions based upon that. And so when we think about wanting an inclusive team culture, workplace culture, a space where people feel like they belong, the first thing is, is you have to ask people to, to ensure that they feel like they're connected to the mission and work. When, when I say that, that schools grow and people grow, right, that's my organization's mission, do I actually believe that? Right. Do, do I believe that actually, no, we need to be working directly with the students and the adults, the adults be damned. Actually, no, I really have seen that when you can get the, the adults and the leaders in the same space and on the same page and to help break some of those silos, that the students ultimately do benefit from that. So being connected is one of the first pieces. Do they feel psychologically safe to contribute? That's one of the next elements that I want people to, to break down. Do our practices intentionally make space for all relevant thoughts, sentiments, feelings to be heard and taken into account? What do we do in our meetings? How do we communicate? How do we evaluate? And is there a space for those who are most impacted by our decisions to share right, their thoughts and feelings about those decisions? The next one is being, being supported to be an effective collaborator. Do we actually have structures that intentionally allow us to work through those silos and we support people and you know, and really reward them when they do maximize our capacity to learn and work together. Uh, and then ultimately, do we value our individuals for their unique identities and strengths, right? So does our environment encourage everyone to bring their authentic selves to work? 
And so these are the four elements that I actually share with people. Um, and we assess our, our teams on that. We have leaders pre-assess themselves as to where they think they need to grow. We do surveys on that on the front end, on the back end. And we really work with teams to identify particular areas of focus that they really want to dive deep on. And so one thing I've seen with a lot of teams recently is about feeling valued for their unique identities and strengths. And so I think that goes a lot to that piece around silos that you're talking about, is that ultimately while people, they're doing great work um, in certain, in, in smaller groups, and they're struggling to feel like that work is being valued or recognized kind of in that larger scale. And so, yes, something like hanging a banner, you know, is just an anecdotal way to recognize that, but that's a beginning, that's a start. And so the more we can, you know, do some of those larger efforts uh, to let our teams know at that team level that we recognize, we see them, we value them, we want them to be connected. Uh, it allows us to open up the door to have those deeper connections with individuals as well. I like those elements because in, in my work as an education consultant, one thing that I feel like I bump up against quite a bit is that you walk into a system and they're, I don't what word I want to use, um, they feel pretty solid about their mission and what they want to do. And yet when you actually ask the teachers what does this mean at a tangible action step level? No one can tell you. And so they're not ready to change because they're not even having, they're not even speaking the same language in regards to what that means. And so I appreciated your breakdown of those four components because that gives you action steps, right? Those are the driving principles. Driving principles are not the same as a mission. What's our mission? What's our vision? You can have a solid mission and vision and the system still will fall apart and not be effective. So I, I appreciate your take on that. It's, it's easy and getting easier over time to write down the right things, right? I think a, a lot of us are getting more smarter about the, the language that we need to say, uh, you know, to outsiders. Uh, but at the end of the day, do we understand the daily habits that need to be in place for the daily practices uh, that we need to be diligently connecting to in order for that to occur? And so for me, my my new focus this year has really been to, to push my my schools, my district, my clients to really be more in intention-centered. And to, instead of hoping that things occur at the end or wishing for certain results or expecting, you know, things to happen, you know, on the back end, let's actually intend for them to occur and then have the diligent practices as, as often as possible um, in place uh, to make sure that that's happening. So instead of hoping, we're intending for that to occur. So I'm right there with you. I'm going to pivot just a bit. I'm really curious about this question of education evolving. How have you found it trying to help education evolve from being competition-based to collaboration-based, which I, I think is still a, a huge issue for us. We're still having a really hard time getting over it. Yeah, for, for me, the, the competition versus collaboration conversation will, will logistically be a challenge when we think about assessment, right? And so ultimately, if you do work together, how, how are you as an individual assessed? So that way you're recognized for the work that you did. While that's an important element, assessment is an important element, I still think it's important for people to have access to quality college and career next steps. I'd love to open that up, but until society does, um, I, I still think that we have to play the game a certain way. So I bring that up because assessment is still important, but that does not have to be the end-all be-all. We don't have to be assessed in certain ways on a daily basis. And you can actually start to assess folks' collaboration as well. When, when Jessica was mentioning those elements there and how they relate to kind of concrete action steps, I actually like to call those habits, right? So what are the, the habits that we can start to develop? 
I bring up habits as something to assess because those are actually things that if you look at any of the of some of the New York Times bestsellers recently, or you know, if you look at a, an adult's notebook or their calendar, a lot of us are trying to find ways to bring quality habits into our lifestyle right now, especially as we are entering this new year. And so we can start to assess our habits there for our students as well, right? So how do they cooperate and collaborate together? Those, are, those can be things that we're assessing just as much as we're assessing their individual performance. So that's one piece to kind of address the, the challenge there of assessment. Um, the other piece is actually starting to recognize that there is no future benefit to being able to solve a problem on your own when we all have in our professional lives utilized our peers and our and tools that give us access to colleagues that are not next to us so consistently. There is not an academic paper that is written without citing some other source or someone else's research. And yet we do not allow our students to cite, you know, some of the work that their peers have done. And that was actually something that I explored as a teacher. Uh, to just see like how would my students take that if if I gave you an opportunity to help your your peers out openly on like for certain assignments like would they take it would students who wanted help would they go to the peers who were who were allowed to offer it who are, who chose to offer it and then would students choose to offer help to their peers not necessarily just for friends to their peers in their classroom for no benefit to them they don't it doesn't help their grade I wasn't paying them or anything, right? It was just seeing like, would they be willing to do so? And as you all, as you know, with your experience could imagine, students jumped at that opportunity to help each other and to be helped by their own peers. And so when I think about the re reasons why school can be, uh, can lack in meaning for some of our students, it's because when it comes to the people that we tell them to be like, those that we tell them to look up to um, who are successful, they're not working in the same way that, that we ask them to work in the school. A lot of their favorite entertainers work on teams or in groups or, or collaborative businesses. A lot of their favorite leaders led organizations, countries, right, teams. Uh, and yet we're asking them to do this, this worksheet by yourself. And I'm going to be the only person who's going to look at this worksheet. And I'm going to tell you if this is valuable or not. When at the end of the day, right, their favorite singer has, has one song that a million people can listen to and they can tell you whether or not they like it. If you start to open up the work for our students and just start to open up the product and say, hey, this product doesn't have to just be for me. Go share this with your parents. Go share this at home. Read this with your friends. Use this to help your other friends out. Or hey, let's start posting some of our good work online. Let's start making some Instagram pages for our classroom or TikTok pages for our classroom and start to show our students that their work doesn't just have to be for our eyes as adults. That there's other that there's other people who would love to hear um, their insights, and you and you're going to start to see how much more they're going to open up to share with you. And that was one of the the, the beneficial experiences I got to see as a teacher. Uh, working with young people who were excited to support their peers and who were excited to to share their ideas, the, the, especially as they knew that I, as their teacher, wasn't going to be the only one who would see it. I really like that. I, I think it's so simple. And yet I don't think a lot of us, I'll just talk about myself. I don't even think that way. We do try to encourage kids to be in, quote unquote independent, to to be quote unquote self-sustaining and then Anything else in the world, you're right, is teams and how you support one another. Rarely do we expect people to do it alone, except for in a classroom. Yeah, it's really bizarre. I want to stick with this because one of the things that I respect a lot about your work is that you do, you do also, though, bring it back to data. Yes. What's the connection between 
data that truly gives you the real story versus taking the data and making it tell the story that you want to hear? So there are just two ways. So I'll, I'll say the like the concrete way, and then I'll get a little more anecdotal for you all. So th there's two ways I really like to support educators in thinking about this. And so the first, the concrete, this is just like a, a fun activity for, for educators to do. So those that are listening, grab some sticky notes. This can be a, a good fun activity for you. I create a, a kind of a, a four quadrant table spectrum here, right? So you've got your, your X axis and your Y axis as well. What I have folks do is actually have them label each axis. So we think about our data as being data that you can take action on. What is data that you that informs actions that you can take? Those are things that, that might be CFUs, uh, quick checks for understanding that are happening in the moment. Or if you get a, a student's assessment data on a Monday for a, a quiz, then that can help, in, or excuse me, a Friday for a quiz, that can help inform any of the reteachers that you might do in the next lesson or in a subsequent lesson as well. So there's there's actionable data. Then we have data that that is more of those state assessments. So some, some of the larger data that, that's a little bit, data that you don't get so frequently. So we have them think about the frequency and the level of action. And so with those two areas, we actually create kind of a spectrum. And so I have people write sticky notes, like all the different ways they collect data on, on their students. So some of it is anecdotal, like observation, some of it is is concrete, right? Like their score on a certain assignment. And some of it is, hey, yeah, they're, they're reading scores on the map test um, or their state test assessment scores. And we have them like put all those sticky notes down, one way of assessing per sticky note. And then we start to put it along that spectrum. And what folks start to realize is that a lot of the data that they take on their students, the story is already told. They're, they're using state assessments at the, in, at the end of one year to assume where a student's going to be at the beginning of another. They look at the, their unit test to, uh, to, to assess what group they need to be in for the next unit, but that unit's already done. They're in a totally different unit now. And so what, what I have my, my teachers start to realize is that rarely am I using the data that actually gives me information that day or in the short term that I can use to actually change the story. So a lot of the data that they're taking is telling us, is, is sharing a story that's already told, that's already finished. What I really like to push people to do is start to move across the spectrum towards that data that's a little more actionable, that actually gives you information as to where someone is in, in, that, in that direct moment, because it allows you to take any kind of potential bias. And I don't even just mean racial bias there. I just mean bias as an educator that oh, they look like they were paying attention or it seems like this is a subject that they get or they like. Oftentimes those quick little decisions that we make in our mind can actually uh, create assumptions that we then act upon that does not actually match what the data or the numbers show. So there's just fun concrete activities that I want people to take down. Like think about all the different ways that you assess your students, that you connect with your students, that you see how they're learning and start to realize how much of it do you utilize to make actionable decisions on in the moment, in the short term. Now, anecdotally, I like to talk about three-dimensional data, and that's really recognizing that, that the numbers rarely tell the stories, right? People tell the stories. And so if you're just looking at the, the assessment numbers that come from the students that you're working with, you're missing two important uh, other elements where one is your, your experience as an educator. Oftentimes, we forget that a lot of the lot of stories that, that we've thought about students in the past, like a lot of students have, they've already broken barriers or opened our minds 
or, or, or shift or put our, our assumptions right back in our faces about what was possible for them. And yet at the new year, we kind of rinse and repeat and still make those same mistakes over and over again. And so you can start to realize that that young man or young lady that you think isn't paying attention or that you think is struggling in this subject might just might need another partner or an additional at bat or another way of, of, of you explaining the content to them. And I feel like we, we always come to that realization at the end of the year, like, oh, wow, this person did get it. And I spent a semester I'm not understanding that. So one piece is, is definitely the numbers, but also your experience. And then last piece is, is empathy. How are you hearing from stakeholders and, and then the people that, that you're actually working with to better understand how they're doing? That's where you really start to get the, the full picture. And, and that's how we start to, to bring more equitable results in our classroom, because we're not just relying on one element. I think we all as adults can start to think about the data that that the world has on us, whether it's uh, what your algorithms spit back at you through your social media feeds, or when we think about our own performance data and how we're assessing our day jobs. There's often an element that we feel like our uh, a certain aspect of our strengths of our personality is not represented in our performance in this way. And so the more we can give um, our students a chance, a fair shot, uh, to be seen as more than just, uh, you know, that the, the numbers, you know, on our spreadsheets, uh, the more likely we will will not let certain students slip through the cracks, or we won't keep repeating certain narratives uh, for certain archetypes or populations of students. Using that framework for data, then in turn, really helps hold the system accountable to ensure that there is that level of collaboration to ensure that there are these driving principles that are action oriented. So I like how that all lines up. I just love that comment. The actionable data was was just a, a great concept. Two words put together that a lot of us teachers need to think about. In fact, it, it, it seems like it would bring more joy to teach because there would be a, you know more, more doses of that positive reinforcement that you're getting because you're you're not pigeonholing kids, you're 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 discovering them. We start off talking about growth. And, and I mentioned for me, growth is not just about those percentage points. And it's often because those points don't come until the end of the year, whether that, that student may no longer be in your particular classroom anymore, or in some cases in your school. Uh, and, and yet you're celebrating, well, they grew. Uh, and in this case, for me, I, I, I think when you start to get in your hands in the actionable data, and you, it really gets you in face, face to face with your students more often face-to-face -face with their loved ones more often because you're having a conversation about their progress and not about their results. And, and so progress can be changed. Progress can be improved upon. Progress can be sustained. Results happen once. The more teachers can be actionable in their job, right, the more fun they're going to have. And, and it is fun when you're helping someone make progress. It's not fun helping people just get results. In this case, if we want to make progress, it always feels good to get better at something. And so I think that that is a space of joy for educators to, to find and, and to take back um, into their own experience by having fun, right? Enjoying uh, to watch the progress of a young person. And a lot of that comes from some of the daily little bits of data that, that comes from you know their performance, yes, but a lot of it is from their habits and behaviors um, and, and, and how they're approaching their learning as well. So I want to go full circle here. You know, let's speak to some of the administrators listening, the district leaders, the principals. How can they use this framework then on the flip side for the teachers, right? What are some ways that they can track progress of the educators that in turn could impact or reduce the turnover that we're seeing? 
the first thing is you have to understand what their mission is. So it's great for us to connect to the organization's mission and, and their language and their goals and, and how they want to serve students. But we all are, are, in, are in these buildings getting colds, you know, in the winter, uh, getting hugs in the fall and the spring. We're, we're looking at our lesson plans or our data until our eyes are crossed. Um, you know, they're doing that for a reason. And, and it's easy to say they're doing it, quote unquote, for the kids. Uh, but there's so much more to that. And, and I think when we just assume that it's for the kids, it's for the kids, it's for the kids, you actually dehumanize, right? The, 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 that professional in front of you who has their own unique story, background and pursuits and, and, you know, and, and rationale for being kind of in, in this line of work. And, and so for me, it's really about recognizing the, the human element there first and understanding that that yes, we're here, we all are here, quote unquote, for the kids. But for me, when I was leaving the classroom, one of the things that I wanted to share with folks was that it's great for me to plant seeds. And I love hearing that, but I don't feel like I'm going to be here to see them grow because of the, uh, just a burnout that I was feeling in, in the way that the role was structured. And so if, if my only benefit that I can get is to know that in the future, things are going to be great. While that's, that's a great thing, it's unfortunately not taking into account my, my present reality, my current goals, I mean, my current well-being. The next piece uh, is, is to actually start to clarify what a win is. I think measurements and data are really only used against educators right now, right? Because when are you going to be doing well? When everyone's getting an A? When no one gets kicked out of your class, when no student has any Maslow kind of needs met before they walk into that space, it's, it's actually starting to get clear as to how can we use data to, uh, to show our assets. And so if we're just looking again at the end results and we're not learning throughout the school year how that educator is molding that classroom community, how they're, how they're building off of students' assets to make sure that they feel seen and included in that space, or how they're pushing young people, you know, to grow in ways that may feel uncomfortable to them at that point. But we all know, um, as educators who care about them, that that will be good for them down the line. And so if you're only using the end results as numbers to assess their abilities, then you're missing, right, some of the um, anecdotal or qualitative data that you can be taking during that time, right? Are students happy in this space? Do parents feel like they can communicate and connect to this educator? Do colleagues feel like they can learn with and connect with this person? If you're only using their, their student results or student growth, um, then you're missing 75% of what the teacher experience really is. And those that are going to continue to be rewarded may not necessarily be the ones that are best for kids or may not be the ones that are making people feel the best. They just might be driving people towards the best numbers, which we know down the line can lead to resentment about your education experience as well. And so we really don't want that from our learners or from our uh, adults. That's why I love that you have stakeholders as a key dimension mm -hmm. to, to make sure that the data is accurate and telling a story that's real. Justin, uh, it's the kindred spirits that we have on together here is uh, joyful in and of itself. Yeah, Justin, I'm so, we're, we're so grateful that you joined us. We're grateful that you're doing this work. And I, I mean, I learned a lot today. I have a lot of nuggets here, um, which is really what we want. So we, we appreciate your time and all that you do. Thank you all. Really appreciate being able to be part of this platform. Like I said, I think we need to find more ways for educators to share their experience, but also for us to start to share what we're doing with nine educators as well. Let's let people in as to what's going on behind these walls in our schools, because that's only going to help more people help us reach our goals. Absolutely. Right.
Absolutely. I also want to thank you for bringing Harry Potter into our episode today and the Magic School Bus. That's a first. And I knew that we were going to be friends immediately. Thanks, Justin.